This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. seen the movie inception you you know this concept of the you know the dream within the dream the levels that uh, that you can go to here on the it's always draft season podcast we're going to do the same thing with the draft we're going to go we're going to talk about multiple drafts at one time we're going to go the draft within the draft brian and we're going to talk about rookies from this 2020 nfl draft and how they're going to impact the next big draft in your life your next fantasy football draft Let's, you know, let's get real here, Luke. A lot of draft fans, NFL draft fans, are simply into it because they want to see how it's going to impact their fantasy league and their fantasy league drafts in July and August. We all know if you're an experienced veteran fantasy football player, you know that more often than not, it's that rookie gem that could end up being the league winner for you. The guy you draft, if it's a dynasty draft, your first round pick, if it's a redraft, that mid to late rounder who nobody knows. All we have right now is a scouting report and college highlights and college film. We don't know what these guys are going to do when the pads go on on Sundays in the fall. But if you get it right in your fantasy draft, if you pick the right guy, you could end up hoisting your fantasy trophy at the end of the year. And it feels really good to win a fantasy Super Bowl because you made the right pick as a general manager on a guy that nobody saw before. And it almost becomes like a part of your family. This rookie, every snap they played is on your fantasy team, at least for one year. It becomes part of the family. So it's so important to the diehard fantasy players that we talk about what some of these high quality skill players are going to bring to the table next year with the fantasy football spin, but also Fantasy football spills into the college game as well, Luke. There's a lot of college fantasy football players who also care about what these skill guys are going to do. And we're not going to dive that deep into the fantasy football conversation, but we are going to take a surface level view at some of the skill players you guys need and gals need to keep an eye on for the 2021 NFL draft. You know, you talk about how, people can focus on the drafts merely for the fantasy purposes. Look at how, where some of these top skill position players landed in the draft, their specific teams and their situations. And look how dynamically that changes their expectations and their output for the coming season. If you're in a redraft league or if you're in a dynasty league, which is absolutely the most fun way to play fantasy football, by the way. Um, If you look at, Leading up to the draft, let's talk about the running backs, Brian. Going into the 2020 NFL draft, were 
a two-horse race between, what, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, DeAndre Swift from Georgia. Those are the top two guys for most people, right, going into this draft. But think about where those guys landed. DeAndre Swift goes to Detroit. He's got on Johnson there that he's going to have to work with and beat out and fight off for carries. Jonathan Taylor goes to Indianapolis where he's going to have Marlon Mack there where he's got to share carries and prove that he can be the guy over him. Why did Clyde Edwards-Hilaire come off the board first? Why is he the only first-round running back in the 2020 NFL draft? Because he went to Kansas City. And how, dy- how dramatically does that change from a fantasy perspective how much you care about this running back class because of where they landed? Look at a guy like Keshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. If he goes to any number of teams, half of the league, Keshawn Vaughn is, you know, maybe you're thinking maybe he has a chance to make a, an impact down the road year two or three, depending on the depth chart. But he goes to Tampa Bay where they have Ronald Jones for first and second down, but they wanted that James White type of running back, that receiving guy for Tom Brady to throw to. It changes everything. It changes the entire landscape for these guys, what teams they go to, what that offense wants to do with them, what the depth chart looks like. So it's just a fascinating way to connect what happens in the actual NFL draft with what's going to end up happening in your draft. And real quick, just to touch on what you said a minute ago, you get so personally invested in this, as a fantasy football owner, but isn't that why we are so drawn to the NFL draft? We want to be part of the process. Fantasy football makes that a reality for you. You get to make the picks. You get to make those trades and choices and see how they play out. I mean, let's be honest, Luke. If draft analysts were given truth serum, if every NFL draft analyst suddenly got injected with truth serum, the reality is we're all just playing fantasy football here, man. A mock draft is a fantasy football exercise. The only difference is it's not just wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, and tight ends. You are essentially grading the players you think with your crystal ball that are going to have the best NFL careers, and you're trying to be more right than the next guy with where you project them to go and what you project their NFL career to be like. It is inherently a large-scale fantasy football league. That's what draft Twitter and draft analysis is. If I say that Tua Tungavailoa is a better quarterback than Joe Burrow, it's like I'm drafting Tua Tungavailoa to my make-believe fantasy team, and that bias follows draft analysts through their analysis two and three and four years down the road. It's an absolute fact that when a writer is covering a player that they may have had a higher grade on than maybe their career has proven to be up to that point, they might not be as negative and they might find the positives in that player's game through the first couple of years of their career because of their quote unquote fantasy ties to him. It's, it is if we're all being honest. And that's part of the reason why being a draft analyst is so much fun is because every year it's a new crop of players. It's exciting. It's, a, it's, it's like when you're building up your list, your own private big board for your, your hometown fantasy football league, you're developing a big board. You're coming up with a draft strategy. You're ranking players who you think will have the best 2020 seasons statistically. It is not any different than what we do on a much deeper level and a much larger scale with the NFL draft. And this year's draft kind of proved it, didn't it? Dudes in the NFL drafting from their basement. 
I mean, this was a large-scale, full-fledged fantasy football draft. Roger Goodell, I run my own fantasy football league from home. Every year before my fantasy football league, I give a little announcement, a little pep talk, I hand out an award. Roger Goodell did exactly what I do every year with my fantasy league, except he's making $40 million a year, and he's got 40 million people watching him on television. It's the same thing. So there's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that NFL draft and fantasy football circles run so tight together. If you go on Twitter, all the big draft analysts are followed by all the big fantasy football guys. And all the big fantasy football guys are followed by all the big draft guys. And sometimes you have analysts that do both, like a guy like Matt Waldman. He's one of the most respected draft analysts and one of the most, expect, one of the most respected fantasy analysts. So this ties in together. It's that same emotion, Luke. Every year you start your fantasy league with your buddies, you have the hope of winning the title, to win the bragging rights, to be that guy. There is almost a similar level of want to in terms of wanting that championship as when you cheer for your favorite reality team. So when we get into the fantasy football conversation here, yeah, there's going to be fantasy players that are saying, hey, J.K. Dobbins, like, Maybe he's the guy, high ups, talent, first round level talent as a running back. He's buried on the Baltimore Ravens depth chart behind, behind Mark Ingram. Not necessarily buried, but his role might be limited. But if he becomes the guy, if Mark Ingram gets hurt, that's a league winner in week eight, nine, 10, 11. We'll get into those details in a little bit more. But Luke, I mean, we're all playing fan. That's, that's why what we do is so great. We're playing fantasy football for real, man. It's fantastic. It is. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, my wife made this joke to me not too long ago. She's got a, a master's degree in creative writing. And she writes uh, stories for of all kinds. And she so what laughed. You're saying, and she Luke, told, what you're saying, Luke, is we know who the brains in the family is. I, I mean, I, I would hope that was already clear. But in case it wasn't, yes, that's the brains. And you'll find it out because she made the joke that we're both fiction writers. Um, so <laughs> Listen, I always say this, Luke. I always say that when you're reading a mock draft, you are going into the fortune teller booth on the boardwalk and the fortune teller booth has the crystal ball or the tarot cards and you're paying the 10 bucks. And they're basically reading the cues, trying to figure out who you are and where you're from and what you're going to like kind of trend toward wanting to hear. And they're predicting or reading this mysterious future that nobody knows what the next five minutes are going to bring, let alone how one of the most unpredictable processes in all of sports is going to unfold. Yet, we all take our best crack at it. We all make our best educated guesses at it. And people that are really good in this industry, you got to give them credit, man. People that know their stuff, people that know the league, people that know how to scout talent can get it right more often than not, just like fantasy football players. It's not luck. There's a lot of skill involved with fantasy football. You got to be good at it. And that's why in the NFL draft, some analysts rise above other guys and other gals because they're just better at it. So, Luke, hopefully we can make some of our listeners a little better in their fantasy drafts this year, man. I mean, that's the hope. Uh, as we kind of turn towards this NFL draft and this fantasy season, who are the guys that stand out to you? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is here and, and talk about the guy that I think is – head and shoulders above the rest of the class. In, in my dynasty league, I ended up uh, through a trade with the number three pick, even though I finished it, uh, as the runner-up. I lost in the championship game in my league, but I had made a trade during the season that got me what ended up being the, the number three overall pick. And after the draft, 
after I saw Clyde Edwards Hilaire go to Kansas City, I traded up to number one already because I want that guy. That's how much of a difference maker I think he can be in that offense. I think Damian Williams is a fantastic back in his own right, but it was not a secret. Andy Reid made it very clear throughout the process and after the fact, through after, now that he's their guy, that he views him as a better version of what Brian Westbrook was for his offenses in Philadelphia. And as speaking as someone who won a title on the back of what Brian Westbrook did in his prime as a fantasy football player, that guy, I want him on my team. I've traded up to number one. That's the guy I'm taking. What are your thoughts on Clyde Edwards Hilaire and his fit in Kansas City and also maybe the next couple of guys that you would consider taking? So here's the thing. Fantasy football, unlike the actual NFL draft process, the NFL draft process, you're trying to project how a player will do in the NFL. Obviously, you will have a fine line or a finer detailed scouting report that will will project a player in a particular system. But one of the things we don't know is who's going to target this player, how will they fit the eventual system they end up in. And a lot of times, players who we were high on entering the league, players with high, high grades and high scouting reports and favorable projections, fail to meet them because they fall into a situation that isn't ideal for them. The difference with fantasy football and rookie drafts specifically is you now know where these guys are playing and you can make a more educated guess as to whether or not the situation they're in is likely to breed success. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is in an offense that produces productive running backs. You know, Damian Williams was a journeyman before he got to Kansas city. I mean, he was not anything more than a Jag, just a guy. He goes to Kansas City, and now he's got wide-open running lanes because there's a dude named Patrick Mahomes that the defense is paying all of their attention to, and stopping the run becomes an afterthought or a secondary goal of the defense, not the primary goal. You had examples like Kareem Hunt a couple of years ago in Kansas City with, with Andy Reid calling plays with Matt Nagy back on the coaching staff when he, at that time, remembered how to coach an offense. <laughs> you had a guy like him who led the league in rushing as a rookie. And the list goes on and on and on with – Andy Reid and running backs, he can get guys to produce almost regardless of who they are. You add the Patrick Mahomes element to this. You add a Tyreek Hill who defenses have to stop or he will end the game on one touch. You add a guy like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who I think has more of a Maurice Jones-Drew type skill set to this offense. How is he not going to challenge for offensive rookie of the year? you know the Chiefs are going to win a lot of games. You know the Chiefs are going to have a first-round buy in the playoffs if Patrick Mahomes is healthy. You know they're going to be a high-profile offense and team all season long. So if you are a key cog in that offense, which Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will be, he is the front-runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he's not going to do it by default just because he's on the team. He's going to rip off big game after big game after big game as a Christian McCaffrey type of rushing and receiving yards monster he's the obvious no-brainer number one pick I think the next guy you gotta really consider Jonathan Taylor with the Colts I mean talk about a guy that wasn't really discussed enough during the draft process a player with almost unparalleled production coming out of Wisconsin he's gonna run behind arguably the best offensive lineman of our generation and Quentin Nelson He's going to pick up yards in chunks, man. He has real track speed. He proved it both on the field and on the track at the combine. 
And Marlon Mack's a good player, but Marlon Mack isn't Jonathan Taylor. You know, he's a good running back, but good running backs are replaceable. Great running backs aren't. And Jonathan Taylor has a chance to be a great running back in year one. And that's what you want. You want guys who, you know, I, in, in my fantasy uh, playing days right now, I drafted Derrick Henry with the number two overall pick when he was coming out. And it took a couple of years. I held on to him, by the way, in my dynasty league. I never gave up on him because I believe we are just starting to see what Derrick Henry is capable of. I think Derrick Henry has 2,000 rushing yards in one of these seasons coming up. He is a freak. He's a unicorn, okay? But the problem with Derrick Henry, he was stuck behind DeMarco Murray the first couple of years. And he didn't really get that chance right away because DeMarco Murray was a damn productive running back. I don't think Jonathan Taylor is going to have that problem in Indianapolis because Marlon Mack isn't a DeMarco Murray type, just like Damian Williams isn't a DeMarco Murray type. These guys, these rookies are going to get their chance. And remember something else, Luke, when you invest a first or even a high second round pick on a rookie, you're not going to pay them a second contract. The Christian McCaffrey's of the world are a rare breed. You might get a handful of guys who earn a second contract with a team because they're just super productive. Derrick Henry's on track for that. Christian McCaffrey got it. We see the disaster that turned into Todd Gurley. But these teams are going to want to get every possible yard out of a cheap salary cap related, cheap player who could be a star in their offense. Jonathan Taylor projects as that kind of guy. Phillip Rivers is still a good quarterback, but he needs a good running, a good running game to have any chance at success in 2020. They're going to give Jonathan Taylor every carry he can handle because the dude is already entering the league with a lot of tread off of his tires. He's not a guy that projects favorably for a big second contract. Get the next four years out of the guy. You're going to get AFC Pro Bowl level, level production out of him. Circle Jonathan Taylor is probably the second pick in most rookie drafts this summer. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And when you, when you get – and I think, again, this kind of applies to Taylor because we talked about Marlon Mack, but I understand what you're saying. When you look at the next few guys on most of these rankings, you see, like I said, DeAndre Swift in Detroit, who will have on Johnson, who they spent a second-round pick, I believe, on not too long ago. Then look at the receivers. We talk so much about this receiver class. It's going to be historic. So many guys at the top, but so many guys across all three, four of the first few rounds. But look at where some of these top receivers landed. You have Jerry Judy in Denver. He goes to the Broncos, where they already have Cortland Sutton, who's their number one. You go to Dallas, where CeeDee Lamb landed. They already have a number one in Amari Cooper and maybe even a number two in Michael Gallup. So I think what's going to be interesting, and again, there are big differences between if you're drafting for a, you know, a redraft league where you're only going to have these guys for a year as opposed to a dynasty league where you're investing in what these guys are going to become down the road. I do think it's interesting that we have top, top shelf wide receiver prospects in, in guys like CeeDee Lamb uh, and Jerry Judy go to teams that don't need them to be number one wide receivers. And while that's a great thing in real football, because you can kind of pick and choose where you want to go, in fantasy football, it's very interesting when you're trying to project targets, you're trying to project numbers and yards and touchdowns. How do you compare that with a guy like Henry Ruggs III, who's going to go to Vegas and play for the Raiders, where he may quickly become the number one guy for Derek Carr? See, I, I think in today's NFL, it's not as important as it used to be to worry about the landing spot for a rookie receiver in terms of target share because the NFL, I mean, every team is throwing the ball all day long. 
there's going to be enough targets for these guys to produce at a level that's going to be, be uh, that's going to give favorable returns in fantasy football. It's going to happen. There's enough footballs flying through the air for all these guys to eat, right? It's going to happen. The question then becomes which one of these guys will make the most of their opportunities. I, this reminds me a lot. You go back to 1998. Some of our listeners might not remember 1998, but 1998 was a great year for fantasy football drafts. When Randy Moss was selected in the first round with, I think, was 21st pick overall by the Vikings back in 98, they already had Chris Carter and Jake Reed. They had two of the best, the, probably the best one-two punch in the, in the NFC at wide receiver, future Hall of Famer in Chris Carter, yet Randy Moss made a, a, basically a historic rookie season because he's just that good. Now, I'm not saying these guys are Randy Mosses, but look at C.D. Lamb for Dallas. I love the fact that he's going into an offense with Amari Cooper on the other side. Number one, he's going to see and learn some traits from a really good professional receiver on, in practices. And number two, C.D. Lamb is not going to be the primary focus of opposing defenses. He's not going to draw the top cornerback. Give me C.D. Lamb against cornerback two, Every day of the week, CeeDee Lamb has a great chance of putting up fantasy starter, wide receiver two numbers as a rookie, even though he's going to an offense that has the number one and maybe even number two guy already in place. The Cowboys are going to throw for 5,000 yards. Dak Prescott's going to push for 5,000 yards in 2020. If you have one of those starting receivers who happens to be a blue chip elite talent, He's going to have his numbers. He's going to get 1,000 yards. He might score 10 or 12 touchdowns. And in fantasy football, it's do you have the right guy in the right week who outscores the team you're playing against? And if you have a player who's going to have 1,000 yards, 1,100 yards, 10 or 11 touchdowns, 8 or 9 touchdowns, that player will give you a chance to win every single week. And a player like CeeDee Lamb, in that offense, with the help he has around him, even if he doesn't have the most targets of the rookie receivers in the NFL next year, he, I think, will do the most with the targets he does get. I tell you what, Brian, it's a fascinating skill position draft because there's just so much depth at both running back and wide receiver. When you look at even some of these weird landing spots, like you said, J.K. Dobbins, I love where he landed in Baltimore in terms of the scheme. I hope he gets a chance sooner than later to be that guy who's going to take over eventually long-term for Mark Ingram. Uh, Cam Akers in, with the Rams now that Todd Gurley's out of the way. I'm, I still like Daryl Henderson a lot, but I, I could easily see Cam Akers becoming their full-time starter and Henderson remaining kind of a, a change of pace back type of guy. I mentioned Kashawn Vaughn earlier, who I think, especially if you're in a PPR league, a point per reception Another league. shameless Tampa Bay Buccaneers drop. I'm just saying – James White catches a lot of passes for the Patriots. Hey man, I'm, old, a guy like I'm old enough to remember hearing the same stuff about Ronald Jones. Yeah, but whoever told you that didn't watch Ronald Jones <laughs> try to catch the football at that point. I, I don't know who's selling you that. Um, but it, it's just so interesting to see where some of these guys landed and wonder, are they going to make an immediate impact? Are they going to have to, you know, fight their way through? But I, I think it's going to be interesting for fantasy players because you're going to have talent, pure talent, available in terms of rookies much later than I think we've seen most years just because there's so many guys 
who are talented enough to make an impact and they've ended up or they've ended up in an advantageous scheme or situation that's going to allow them to succeed right away. I want to hear your thoughts, Brian, on the, on the quarterbacks. I want to hear what you think fantasy wise, what are these guys capable of, particularly at the top guys that we know is going to are most likely to start right away. What's Joe Burrow going to bring as a fantasy player to a tongue of Iloa, Justin Herbert, even Jordan love is obviously more of an, you know, a long-term play, but how, how much of an impact do you think some of these rookie quarterbacks could have? It's tough, man. If you're a, if you like the veteran fantasy players, know. I mean, rookie quarterbacks need to kind of prove their worth in a fantasy universe because the chances of any of them having enough success early in their career to actually start for you and potentially win a fantasy championship, those odds are really, really low. But if you're in a dynasty league, which I agree, Luke, that's the only way to play, man. I mean, what's the point in redrafting every year? Build a team year after year. and, And that's when drafting rookie quarterbacks becomes relevant and fun because you could stash a guy. You know, if you drafted, if you were lucky enough to draft Lamar Jackson, you held on to him. You won your fantasy football league last year. So in this year's draft, you know you have Joe Burrow, who will have the best chance to string together if he stays healthy, sixteen starts, and production in line with probably a mid-level starter, and maybe even a a potential quarterback ten to twelve starting numbers for a fantasy league if you're in a pinch if you're one of these leagues that has to bench bi-week players Joe Burrow could become a player that actually starts a game or two for you in 2020 but Tua we know might get redshirted this year I don't know what Justin Herbert's going to bring as a rookie I think he's going to have a pretty steep learning curve out there in uh, in Los Angeles Jordan Love we know is on the shelf for probably at least a year if not longer so it really comes down to Joe Burrow and why not throw a dart on him late in the draft? If, if you're going to have a quarterback, if you have an established veteran quarterback who you know is pretty good for a 16-game slate, if you get a Russell Wilson, for example, why not take Joe Burrow with one of your last picks? It can't hurt, especially if you have a Bengals fan in your league. You know, one of these things you have to also remember is evaluate the landscape of your league. You know, the year that last year when Daniel Jones was drafted, there's a lot of Giants fans in my league. You take a guy like Daniel Jones, the giant fandom could lead into some favorable trades for you because those guys just want their team's new rookie quarterback on the roster. So there's also that thing to kind of that strategy to play into your mind there. But from a pure player standpoint, throwing a dart on Joe Burrow late in the draft isn't a foolish idea. But at the same time, if you have a chance, uh, you know, if you're picking between a guy like I don't know, let's just say a a Brandon Ayuk, for example. I mean, he'll go a lot higher than a rookie quarterback would, but don't pass up a running back or receiver, even if they're RB2 slash three or wide receiver three slash four. Don't pass up one of those guys for Joe Burrow because I don't think you'll see the dividends early enough to where Joe Burrow becomes a starting quarterback in fantasy leagues. I don't think he'll be like a Kyler Murray by year two. He's considered a top six or seven starter. I don't think Burrow has the skill, the dynamic enough skill set to complement his game with his legs to give you fantasy production on the ground as well so but look man that's what makes it fun throw a dart if you're right man you got bragging rights for a long time you absolutely do and and you touched on something just a moment ago about how much dynasty leagues make it more fun for the long term and I think that plays into if if you are so interested if you're interested enough in the NFL draft to be listening to to this conversation right now 
how much more fun is it to invest a, a, a draft pick into a player that you have a high grade on, that you are confident in his ability to progress and, and become a star in this league? Because when you go into your fantasy draft, your dynasty draft, you, you put your money where your mouth is, you make that pick, and then if it pays off, it actually pays off for you. You win championships with the guys that you said were going to be good. I, I took uh, Kenny Galladay a lot earlier than I think a lot of guys in my league expected to because I had a higher grade on him. I was so happy to see the Lions take him in the third round. That's where I had him graded. A lot of people were saying day three with that guy, and he's turned out to be really well. It's so fun to see that. Then when a guy like Lamar Jackson gets picked and I don't pick him, I bet I hit myself. I'm like, what an idiot. I've been high on him the whole time, and I didn't get to reap the benefits of being right about that. It makes me feel like an idiot. So You know what's, great, Luke? Had- you know what's great, though? And one of the things that I love is when – you do have the Lamar Jackson scenario, like you said, even though you don't have him on your fantasy team, the fact that you graded him high for the NFL draft still gives you a sense of almost like this ownership over his success in his rookie season that, that simulates that fantasy feeling of being able to thump your chest and go on draft Twitter and retweet your old hot takes. And, and it's, it's like I said, it's an offshoot of fantasy football to where you're feeling like, hey, this is, this is proof in a way that I knew what I was looking at and that I was accurate with my scouting report. I'm not cheering for him and getting the fantasy production and winning games against my buddies from home. But there's this whole other world that his real-life on-field production helps me. I don't know if you want to use the word succeed in, but it certainly helps you build up a little more credibility when one of these skill players who becomes – a big time fantasy player, maybe an under the radar guy ends up being pretty solid. I remember when I started breaking into the draft Twitter world, one of my first under the radar, maybe hot take opinions was that Andre Ellington, the former Clemson running back was the top running back in his draft class. I loved him coming out of Clemson. I thought he was great. I thought he had that juice, that explosive ability. I learned a lot of things from, uh, from Andre Ellington as his career matured, as injuries broke him down, that has helped me as a talent evaluator, putting more value in size, putting more value in durability. But in that year, Andre Ellington was my guy. And when he got his opportunity midway through the season with the Arizona Cardinals, he was like a sixth round pick that year. And I had him graded as a day two guy. He was a sixth round pick and people remembered me pumping up Andre Ellington throughout the draft process. And here he is ripping off 70-yard touchdowns in the NFL, and it circled back to people retweeting what I was writing about him. So you do end up getting that satisfying fantasy-like success when some of these skill players hit. So if you're an NFL draft guy or gal and a fantasy guy or gal, it's a wonderful marriage when these two worlds collide positively. But the same thing, Luke, can happen on the opposite end. If you're all in on a guy, look, my Bears fandom bit me in the ass last year because <laughs> I traded a high pick for Mitch Trubisky. Oh, no. I was convinced after his second season, here we go. We got another Mark Brunell type of runner and thrower and playmaker, and we know how that ended up. It was a double negative. It was a painful experience to not only watch – the quarterback of my favorite team just implode, but also 
the horrible investment it was for fantasy football. It was a double negative that just made me, honestly, I can't wait for Nick Foles to be the starting quarterback. It, the, we all have those stories of the, the peaks and valleys of both fantasy owner uh, existence and also, you know, the, when it comes to the NFL draft itself and, and the, the projections that we have. Um, when, I don't know if you know, uh, if you've got anybody that's into this, but I've seen dynasty drafts that go way ahead of time where they're drafting the guys that we're about to see play in college before they ever even end up on teams. And I think that's fascinating. I want to get into that. We've, we may not have the depth at both running back and wide receiver that we had in this draft, this past draft overall in 2020 was extremely deep across three or four rounds. I don't think we'll see that in 2021, but I do think they're just as top heavy at both of those positions. When you talk about wide receiver, you've got Jamar Chase from LSU. You've got two guys in Alabama and Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle. You've got Rondale Moore at Purdue. You've got Rashad Bateman at Minnesota. What do you think about this receiver class? Can it live up to, at least at the top of the draft, Brian, can it live up to what we saw this year? Well, look, Jamar Chase will be the first wide receiver drafted if he was in the 2020 draft. I mean, I think based on what he showed at LSU, his combination of plus size, plus speed, plus athletic ability, his ability to win the contested catches, body control, understanding of route running, sideline awareness. Uh, I mean, he, he was just phenomenal last year. Now, so what you're saying is he was Trevor Lawrence at wide receiver. He's well, the guy I, that would have gone, okay? gone ahead of everybody else. If you could draft him, you would have. Well, look, this is it's actually a great point you're making, Luke, that kind of taps into the psychology of the draft analyst. And it's something that I also have to kind of pull in the reins sometimes you can't forget about how good the, the most recent draft class was and just assume that the draft class that's coming up because it's the one under your radar, you know, under your microscope right now is somehow better, right? Like the guys you're watching now because they're in your everyday work study are superior to what Jerry Judy was last year this time. But Jamar Chase is a better prospect. I mean, he just is. We'll see if he can do it without Joe Burrow at quarterback. His stats are going to dip. But Jamar Chase is a top 10 pick. I mean, he could be a top five pick. He could be the first non-quarterback drafted. That, that's the level he is. He could end up with a grade along the lines of a Julio Jones type. Um, but I will say this. There is a receiver. Unlike at quarterback, where I don't see anybody tra challenging Trevor Lawrence, there is a receiver who can challenge him for wide receiver one before the year's over, and that's Minnesota's Rashad Bateman. This dude can play football. Again, another plus-size player, a tremendous route runner, reliable hands, and I love what he does after the catch. For a big guy who's a little bit on the longer side, he just looks the part to me. And like you said in our, our previous episode, if you didn't listen to our uh, last week's episode of It's Always Draft Season, make sure you check it out because Luke mentioned how Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman are going to probably be one of the most lethal one-two punches in, in college football this year. And it's true. Bateman's going to – he's going to jump the Alabama guys, in my opinion, by the time the year's over. And he'll be nipping at the heels of Jamar Chase. I don't know if he'll catch him, but he'll be right there. I wouldn't be surprised. One of the, the greatest catches I saw last year was that one-hander that Bateman had down the sideline where he was beating – he beat the corner. The safety was trying to come over the top. 
and the safety was just a step late, and he reached out with one hand and literally just snow-coned it uh, like a fly ball as he crossed the goal line. And it was just – it's one of the best catches I saw. You talked about the Alabama guys, two guys that I think have very different, very unique skill sets. Devontae Smith, the best slant route runner in college football last year, scored four touchdowns against Ole Miss alone. Uh, and it, it's hard to – to have a, a wide receiver room that has Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs, two top 20 picks that were two of the top three receivers off the board this year. When you're able to show those guys up, when you're able to have better numbers than those guys in any offense, no matter who you are, that should say something. I think Devontae Smith has a chance to prove, can you be the guy with those guys gone? Two is gone. You're going to have Mac Jones throwing you the ball now. Now you're the guy. Obviously you have Jalen Waddle, who I think is, much more Henry Ruggs type of guy, a little more undersized. He's the explosive kind of big play. You want him to be the Tyreek Hill kind of guy in your offense that can take the top off. Very Two very unique receivers, very different skill sets at Alabama. I'm very interested to see how Mac Jones being a quarterback instead of Tua, how that impacts their production and their draft stock. And then Rondale Moore, another guy, another undersized guy, very versatile. Purdue uses in a bunch of different ways, tries to get creative with the way they get him the ball. Uh, he's another guy that I think is kind of faded in the conversation, but I think talent-wise is absolutely in that conversation. So when you talk about the Alabama guys, I think this is going to be one of the funnest debates of the college football season is which guy is the guy. We saw this happen even with Judy and Ruggs as the college football season kind of came to a close and draft season kicked off. Jerry Judy was the undisputed dude one, you know, June, July, August, September into October. And then Ruggs started kind of showing something in terms of his Tyreek Hill type of next level field flipping speed that is such a highly rated commodity in the NFL. I mean, one thing you cannot teach is juice. If you have juice, if you have rare juice, it will separate you from other players who might be a more refined talent at their position because NFL coaches are arrogant. NFL coaches think they're the smartest guys in the room and NFL coaches believe if you give them the elite athlete, they will turn them into the elite football player. We've seen way more than we would like as draft guys that that doesn't always happen. I mean, one of the greatest examples of that is Mike Mamula, the Boston college linebacker from decades ago, who was the first real example of the combine workout warrior who just couldn't do it with the pads on. But now the game has evolved so much and scouting has gotten better, in my opinion, that those misses aren't as extreme, but the old adage still applies. Coaches want athletes and speed will, will separate guys. And that's why I think Jalen Waddell will end up ahead of Devontae Smith. I think he has like you said, he has a little bit of rugs in him. He has a little bit of Judy in him. He has a little bit of both of those first rounders last year that I think when you kind of combine it in one package, it's a really, really exciting prospect. There's a lot of plays that are on Alabama's tape where he catches the football and everyone around him looks like they're moving in slow motion. It's incredible how he can split defenders who have an advantageous angle on him and just take off. That's the kind of thing that you look for in, in any skilled player that translates to this is a playmaker in the NFL, because it's not like he's at North Dakota State doing this, where he's going up against defensive backs and safeties that aren't going to get a cup of coffee in the NFL. He's going up against weekly 
he's going up against NFL prospects and he's making them look silly. It's just a matter of opportunity. It was very hard, like you said, to kind of get those targets to really showcase what you're capable of when you have, you know, pick your poison every single week. Waddle will be in a more, more of a showcased position in 2020. And I think he will eventually rise to the top of the Alabama receiving core. And like you said, too, I mean, there are players that we're not even talking about right now who are going to rise up the board because they have, you know, the 1200 yard and 15 touchdown season. It's, and that's, what's fun. It's, it's who is going to be that guy, but again, buyer beware. Let's go. Let's dip back into my Chicago bears misery. Kevin white is a great example of a guy who, when he was a senior at West Virginia became the dude, he was battling with Amari Cooper to be the first receiver drafted Kevin white. His career is basically over. And it ended with zero touchdowns in the NFL. He played like six games in his career. Injuries killed him. Injuries derailed him. But even when he was healthy, the dude couldn't run NFL routes. But again, size, speed, athletic freak, NFL teams, you know, the Bears bit. They think you can turn a guy like that into something greater than maybe his college tape shows. Waddle isn't that guy. Waddle is a more finished product at wide receiver who also offers those exciting traits. It's going to be fun to see which player rises above some guys that we're projecting as early rounders. Now there's going to be someone who jumps up out of nowhere, gets an opportunity in 2020 and becomes in the first and, and enters that first round conversation. I completely agree. And as we, we move the conversation to the running backs, the top of the running back class is a trio of guys, in my opinion, who we were all very surprised to see them go back to school. We thought, especially at the running back position, there's not another position except maybe if you're a, a really top flight quarterback. If you're a quarterback who's pretty sure you can be a top 10, top 15 pick, and you're, a, you're eligible for the draft, you strike while the iron's hot, right? You, you've got to get out. You've got you to make your money while you can. But I think at running back, it's really unique because, like you said, we talked about it with Jonathan Taylor earlier, the, the shelf life of the NFL running back is non-existent anymore. These guys very rarely get second contracts, and so, so many of the, the ones who do end up proving why they shouldn't have got one. You mentioned Todd Gurley earlier. I think it's so interesting to see three extremely talented running backs in Clemson's Travis Etienne, Alabama's Najee Harris, Oklahoma State's Chuba Hubbard all go back to school Yes, we had an extremely deep running back class in this past draft in 2020. So maybe they're thinking, hey, if I wait a year, I can be the top dog. I can be that guy. I just think it's very interesting to say, to see that they were willing to go back and get another year of pounding at the college level, another year of carries and touches, not at the NFL level and not one year closer to that second contract. I just thought that was an interesting development to see those three guys. I want to talk about these running backs because I think that a lot of people think that Travis Etienne is, is the, the running back one far and away. You want to talk about guys I want to stand on the table for, the phrase we always use. Najee Harris from Alabama is my guy. I love Najee Harris. I, I was actually disappointed two years ago when Damian Harris, the, the three-, four-year starter at Alabama, went back for his senior season after another 1,000-yard season at Alabama. I was so – I wasn't just surprised that he went back. I was angry. I was mad that he wasn't going to the NFL because I knew Najee Harris, five-star recruit, one of the best prospects in the country coming out of high school, was finally going to get his shot. A guy that was huge, athletic, had wasn't that Derrick Henry type of freak, 
but had that similar that Eddie George to him, that big, tall, bruising guy with with great athleticism for his size. I was excited to see that in him the year before. But Damian Harris came back. He was still the bell cow for Alabama for about one more year. So so last year we finally got to see the Najee Harris that I had hoped to see. And I tell you what, my favorite play in college football last year probably was the the touchdown he scored against South Carolina where he went full Marshawn Lynch after catching a, a pass out of the backfield, absolutely threw a defender into the next zip code, went down the field, down the sideline, hurdled, completely hurdled over another guy at 6'2", 230 pounds, and then broke another tackle on the way to the end zone. It, the play has everything, everything you want from a running back from – being able to chip a, a pass rusher to catching the ball out of the backfield. You have the physicality and the, the, the mental ability to, to throw a guy off, to hurdle over another guy with your athleticism and then fight to the goal line and, and get in the end zone. Najee Harris has, I mean, he's, he's a dog, man. He's got that mentality that, that Marshawn Lynch was famous for that. You are not going to bring me down. One guy is not going to win this battle and I'm going to get to the end zone no matter what it costs. I want that guy on my team, and that's why he's my top running back in this class. Everything you're saying about him is 100% right, but we know this game, Luke. We know the draft game, and that stopwatch for the 40-yard dash is going to ultimately determine how high Najee Harris gets drafted. We know he's going to be productive in 2020. He's the kind of guy that you can basically slap a grade on now going into the 2020 season and not change it because if the, if he does anything in 2020 that makes you change your grade, you probably are seeing something that you missed in 2019. The only thing Najee Harris can do to really elevate his stock at this point is make some big time home run hitting runs in 2020 show that he can outrun third level defenders to pay dirt. 50-yard touchdown runs, 45-yard touchdown runs, 60-yard touchdown runs. If he can do that, if he can show that he has worked on his speed and got that one or two or three-tenths faster when he hits that third level, maybe, maybe he, he gets bumped up a little bit. But Najee Harris is who he is, and he's exactly who you described. The question comes down to his speed, whether or not he's going to be considered the kind of running back who can – make all the runs on the next level. Because if he can't, he could become a situational back in the pros, a short yardage and red zone guy, uh, maybe just a first and second down thumper, a guy who kills the clock when there's a lead, protects a lead and runs out the clock. Those guys have great value, but those guys aren't first or even second round picks. So the question becomes how fast will he run? And that's why Clemson's Travis Etienne, in my opinion, is the only running back as we enter the 2020 season who has a legitimate first round potential because you talk about a player, he's 210 pounds, but he runs like he's 230 pounds with his fight and will to gain that extra yard or two. He has fantastic contact balance. He can spin off of tacklers. He can slap moves on top of moves. He's loose and flexible. He can cut and spin all within a couple of yard radius. And he's got legit, 4-4 speed. If he runs a 40-yard dash in Indianapolis and it's a 4-4-3 or a 4-4-5, you're going to hear draft Twitter say, oh, that's a little slower than I thought he was going to run it. He might not be as fast as we thought. Forget it. Because some guys run a 4-4-5 in shorts and a t-shirt 
and they're four seven with pads on. Travis Etienne, if he runs a four four five, he's running a four four five. If you put another fifty pounds on his back, he's just a natural blazer. So he's the kind of guy, and he showed last year with his improved receiving ability that he can do everything. And I, I look at guys like Alvin Kamara, for example, similar size. A guy like Christian McCaffrey, he's actually a little smaller than Travis Etienne. You can project him into that playmaking dual threat role that's on the field for all three downs as a next level back. And that's the kind of player you invest a first round pick in. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is kind of cut from that same mold, maybe not as fast, but he's the kind of player you can stick on the field all three downs. Those you have to be able to do that to be a first round pick or even a high second round pick. Can Najee Harris do that? Chuba Hubbard. I like Hubbard. I think he's got the ability to be a day two running back. But if you watch Chuba Hubbard and then you watch Travis Etienne back to back, you see the difference. You see the difference in a guy who you can build an offensive game plan around. That's Travis Etienne versus a guy like Chuba, Chuba Hubbard, who, yes, he can be a starting running back in the NFL, but is he the kind of player that you'd pass up a legitimate starting offensive tackle for or a playmaking wide receiver for or a cover corner for? Those are the decisions you're making when you draft a running back in the first round. So that running back has to be special. I, I am a firm believer that running backs still hold first round value. I know that's like maybe an old school grandpa take, but I still love the old school running attack when offenses do it right. We saw it with, with Tennessee last year. Derrick Henry led that team to an AFC championship appearance. If you have the right guy, you know, Dak Prescott's a great quarterback, but Ezekiel Elliott's a big reason why. You know, Daniel Jones is going to be as good as Saquon Barkley allows him to be. These guys allow for quarterbacks to be even better than they might naturally be. Travis Etienne has that ability to be an offensive game changer. And in this upcoming class, there are some enticing names, but Travis Etienne's the first rounder, man. I, it's hard to argue with that. I, I think that is the trump card that ETN has over over Harris and the rest of these guys is that home run ability. He's just got – he's the guy in this class that when he gets even a, a shred of, of room between the tackles or otherwise, it's not just getting to the edge with that explosiveness. It's that one-cut ability between the tackles where he can expose the defense and, and be gone before you blink an eye. I, I think that does give him an edge – in the way that you're saying before we wrap up, I want to get your thoughts on, on one more guy. It's a, it's a wild card running back that we have discussed you and I, before we both really excited about him, but he does have question marks. I want you before we go talk about what fans should expect and, and maybe why we should be a little concerned about Zamir white coming out of Georgia. Zamir white. He's a dude, man. This guy is a dude. He's nicknamed Zeus for a reason. You know, there's, there are some guys who come along at 18, 19, 20 years old, and they've already got grown man strength, right? I mean, some of those, some players take a couple of years to develop into the man they're going to be in terms of their physical ceiling. Zamir White is starting at a floor that is already grown man strength, and he's only going to get better because last year was his first healthy season 
after suffering back-to-back ACL tears in 17 as a high school senior and 18 in a scrimmage with, uh, in August for Georgia. So 19 was his first year back, and we barely got to see the real Zamir White because, you know, it takes a season, maybe two, to build that confidence in one knee injury, let alone a torn ACL in your right and left knee. I mean, talk about a guy who's got to rebuild the mental confidence to make cutbacks, to plant and go. It's, it's literally both knees. And last year he proved that he has the ability to, to dominate a game in very limited, you know, limited spurts. We didn't really see a full season of him. So the big challenge that he's going to face to get into that conversation, to be one of the first running backs drafted, can he stay healthy? And he, unlike Najee Harris, is going to have a grade that jumps significantly in 2020 if he can do that. He's got, the ch- he's got a chance to challenge to be maybe the second running back drafted if he has the kind of year that we're all predicting. And you know what, Luke? We're going to follow him all season on this podcast. We're going to follow him from now all the way until next April and then into next year's fantasy football circle because it's always draft season here, Luke. It's always draft season on this podcast. So guys and gals, draft fans out there, head over to iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. If you don't, tell us why, and we'll get better. Leave some comments. Leave some questions. Hit us up on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Easterling. I'm at Brian Perez NFL. Make sure you check out all of Luke's work at the Draft Wire and uh, at Sports Illustrated's Tampa Bay Buccaneers content. You could make sure you check out all my Bears work at NBC Sports Chicago and my draft work at profootballdraft.com. And as always, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Maybe we made your commute a little better. Maybe we made it a little worse. Either way, we appreciate you taking the time out. Make sure you come back and listen next time. We're going to have more draft talk every single week here on It's Always Draft Season. Make sure you come back and check it out.